welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 66 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm here to provide you with some of the best training insights for your next OCR. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, just head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 66. Um, and also, I just wanted to share a couple of things I've been working on and free stuff for you, because who doesn't love free stuff, over at the website as well. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you uh, sign up for my free course, the Essential Grip Training course for OCR. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can head right on over and, and go through all the different modules. And, and really, I just wanted to put all the different pieces of grip training for any obstacle that you might see. So it's all free, a bunch of videos and some exercises that you can really um, that you can use to really help with that, that grip training. So uh, check that out. You can also check out my free two-week jumpstart training program. So you get two weeks uh, where you can uh, follow along and get all of your strength, your running, your tactical, all the all the things you need to be doing to train for your race. So if you're kind of not sure where to start, uh, this is something I highly recommend checking out to kind of get a game plan on how to proceed for uh, better OCR training. And also check out uh, a lot of the recent blog posts I've been doing are uh, OCR Weekend Reviews. So I have about five or six of them up right now. And you can check it out where um, I've been trying to get them about once a week. Sometimes I go a little bit longer than that. But uh, I'm sure you get inundated with a ton of articles and videos and all this stuff out there on training, nutrition, all that fun stuff. So, And I do too. Uh, and I do read pretty much all of it. So I wanted to kind of give you the... The best of the best. So when I see come across some things that I just are really, I think are really important to share, I just uh, put it in one simple blog post so you can check out all those different resources there. Um, and then also, uh, it's hard to believe, but Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and I'm going to be doing a couple Black Friday sales. So if you want to check out uh, all the different programs that I offer, we're going to be doing some sales on um, my mentorship program, my 90 day fuel and fire program. Um, plus uh, online coaching. Uh, you can check it all out at ocrunderground.com slash black dash Friday. All right, so, um, well, I, I did it, and I got to run my Ultra Beast. It was, it was awesome. I can't believe that I'm saying that, but I had such a fun time. Um, obviously, it was hard. It was challenging, um, but I, was, I couldn't have been more prepared, and uh, I thought it went incredibly smoothly. And I was super excited to have finished, and it is such a great feeling after running 30 miles and doing 60 obstacles, crossing that finish line, uh, I have to admit, was was pretty awesome. And actually getting to uh, race with some of you that uh, I got to run into on the course, which was an amazing distraction to start to talk and um, had so much fun. So I, I appreciate all the support that I have gotten or that uh, I got while on the course. Uh, I, I will do kind of a recap, but actually this week's interview for this episode 
um, I have on uh, Rachel Munoz, who I ended up running with. We were kind of going back and forth for a while, and we ended up finishing together. So I thought instead of me just rambling on about what I thought of the race and my experience, I thought it'd be fun to go back and forth with uh, Rachel, who ended up winning her age group. So uh, that's going to be the interview for this week. So we'll, we'll make sure you get all the details about uh, the race. Also in this episode, in Inside Mike's Mind segment, I want to talk about uh, getting back to training after a race. And I have talked about this before, but I just see this question come up so often, and I see some not-so-great advice come up um, when I see this question come up. So I wanted to put something else out there. Uh, I know after my ultra, I was walking incredibly funny for uh, quite a few days uh, going up and down stairs was very interesting um, and getting my socks on and all that fun stuff so I, I do want to talk about um, kind of some rules that you'll want to follow and when it is appropriate to get back to your training uh, and then in our research review I want to talk about um, a little bit of that mental side of training and really this idea of can you talk yourself out of fatigue uh, which is uh, really good research and interesting topic to really help you push when when you might be a little tired. And it was something that I definitely needed uh, during that ultra. Uh, so let's get into this week's episode. Well, before we get too far into the episode, I do want to take a moment to mention some of our sponsors. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Venga CBD. Uh, one thing that I was constantly asked after my race was, you know, anything in particular that I was doing to help deal with recovery and, you know, time and sleeping are always going to be kind of the foundation of that. But one thing I was using was some were uh, Venga CBD's products like their CBD gels and their balm. And it was something that I personally was using to help deal with inflammation and muscle recovery. And uh, obviously CBD is becoming more and more popular and I love this company just uh, one of the main reasons is they, they focus solely on the endurance athlete um, really helping with, with recovery so you can train hard and, and train more often. Um, they use uh, water-soluble CBD, so it's much more uh, absorb absorbable and gets into your system compared to some other CBD products out there. Uh, and you get to save money when you mention OCR Underground. If you just use code OCR Underground when you check out, you can get 15% off your order. Um, I do recommend that balm uh, to help with some muscle soreness and, and recovery. So check them out at vengacbd.com slash OCR Underground. This episode is also brought to you by Handmaster Plus Grip Trainer. Uh, obviously, grip training is an essential part of any OCR, and most of the time we spend that uh, our time on that crushing grip where you're trying to squeeze things tight. And if you've ever dealt with some elbow issues because you've been doing too much grip training, this is probably why, because you are training out of balance and you're always training the muscles that close the hand versus the muscles that open the hand. Uh, so using something like the Handmaster Plus is really a cool tool. You can squeeze the ball to, to work on those uh, traditional grip uh, form and hand muscles, um, but with the bands going through the ball, you open up your hand, you get resistance and actually create balance in your hands, your wrist form, um, which is just a much more effective tool, not only to stay out of injury, but to help strengthen that grip. Uh, so if you want to check out uh, Handmaster Plus, just visit handmasterplus.com and pick up one of their grip trainers. Mm -hmm. 
All right, time to talk about how soon after a race should you be returning to training? And like I mentioned, I see this question come all up and you'll get responses, you know, from, hey, I, I go right back to it, suck it up, you know, to, you know, taking a few days off to whatever it might be. And um, obviously everybody's different and there's no one right answer here. But after a race, you have put your body through a lot of stuff, a lot of stress, and it just takes time for this to heal. And I think it's just a terrible mentality to go in and say, I'm just going to get right back to my training and, and tough it out and um, continue you know, right after a, a tough race. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm not saying you should do nothing for weeks, but we need to find the right, the right balance here. I once heard the recommendation that you should probably take off however many hours you're out there, uh, about that many days taking off. So if you took five hours to do a race, take five days off. Um, I, I think that's probably a little anecdotal and I can't remember exactly where I, I heard that, but I, I do think that's probably pretty good advice. Um, and now when we say take days off, that doesn't mean necessarily do nothing, but that's before you're going to go back to your, your typical training and really start loading up the body or putting on the miles or, or whatever it is. So there's some things that you can do, but you just have to be really smart about it. And one of the big things that happens and you have definitely experienced it before, and that's de delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. And it's just like it sounds. This is basically the muscle soreness you feel could be the next day, could be a couple days after the race. And when you look at the physiology, why we get sore, there's lots of different reasons out there. It's not lactic acid, which a lot of people think. Lactic acid may contribute to some of the initial soreness or burning sensation you feel during your training or your race, um, but it has nothing to do with being sore afterwards. Lactic acid levels are completely back to normal within hours after um, after your race or your training. So really uh, lactic acid is not contributing to muscle soreness. What is happening are some microtrauma, some tears of the muscle, um, disruptions in the contractile fibers of the muscles cause a uh, uh, an uh, immune response that leads to inflammation, your nerves become more sensitive, and there's a, really a host of things that will, will happen There's um, that, that are going to lead to increased pain. So I, I don't want to get into the why we are sore. I think we just know it happens and um, you're going to have to deal with it. But what I do want you to understand is that when you're going through this muscle soreness, it is a part of recovery. So it's just a process you're going to have to go through. Um, obviously, sometimes it's worse than others, depending on um, the extent of damage that you did to the body, but it's the body's response to heal. And when we're going through DOMS, there's a couple interesting interesting things that happen. One, there's probably some inflammation. And inflammation is, again, it's natural, but it's not a great thing in terms of performance. And when you have, and there's lots of studies looking at like knee inflammation, just for an example, when there's inflammation around a joint, it actually sends a signal to the brain to reduce uh, strength of that muscle because it, the, the brain doesn't want you to do something stupid. So it's not going to let you be as strong or as powerful as you could be. Um, we also see that that happens at the muscle itself. So when there is soreness and people are asked to contract that muscle as hard as they can when they when they study this, they see that you can no longer create as much force with when you're going through DOMS. And, and that's probably self-explanatory, but um, bear with me as I go through all these, these reasons here. Um, one other thing that happens is there is a decrease in muscle 
glycogen replacement. So the sugar stores that are in your muscles that we use for intense exercise, uh, we need to replace that after a race or whatever it might be. And when muscle is damaged, it slows down and even stops that replenishment of glycogen. So now you're just going to have less energy. So when we look at the point of training is I want to push hard, I want to get stronger, I want to be faster, I want more endurance, all these things. You need all of those things. You need the muscles to create as much force and as much power as possible. You need as much stored energy in that muscle as possible. But when you're sore, those things are not maximized um, and it's going to result in a decrease in performance. So it just, I mean, when you understand all of that, it, it just makes you think, well, why would you want to train in a state that you're going to have um, less work output? Right? You're not going to be able to train as hard. So you're kind of telling yourself, yeah, it's it, like, okay, I'm just going to have mediocre workouts and I'm not going to be as strong and my weights are going to go down and or my pace is going to go down or I'm just creating more damage. It's going to take even longer now to recover. So I'm probably rambling a little bit here, but I think these are important things to consider. So um, uh, one last thing is, and I know you have noticed this before, and I noticed it trying to walk downstairs every morning after my race. It, it was a little funny. I couldn't walk the way I normally walk, which means you're now creating uh, different motor programs or patterns, which is not a good thing. So this is like if you've ever twisted an ankle and you maybe taped up your, your ankle to you know prevent it from hurting and you immobilize it. And now you kind of have to walk with a limp and uh, because of the pain or because of just it, it being taped up. And after the pain is gone, after you remove the brace or whatever it is, you still have a slight limp and you're not putting as much weight on that leg anymore. This happens pretty quickly. It's basically a habit. It's, it's a new way that you've learned how to walk. And if, you don't, if you're not consciously thinking about it, you'll just pick up this bad habit and this bad motor program. Right? Same thing happens if you're sore and trying to squat, you, you can't squat as deep anymore. You can't lunge as deep anymore. You're probably not going through full range of motion like normal. So if you do this in a sore state, you're now picking up all these bad habits. And when you're not sore, you're probably not squatting as deep anymore or lunging or whatever it is. So now you're, you're training less effectively again. So I would really use your muscle soreness as a good indicator of when is it time to train hard again. If you are still sore to the point that it is changing your movement patterns, you should not be doing that exercise. Now you could be doing other things. So maybe you start cross training. Like it's, you're not ready to run yet, but you wanna do something, you might get on a bike, right? If, if you're just worried about losing or you're trying to get ready for another race, that might be a possibility. So we just cross train. You're gonna do things that you can still use to um, build your aerobic capacity or your strength or whatever you're trying to work on um, that isn't affecting movement there. So cross training the week after a race is one of my go-to things just to make sure you're giving your body a break. You already did a ton of running or hanging or whatever it is. So do other things, do things that are still active, um, but you're just not beating yourself up as much. So um, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, I, I often think of it like as you kind of taper to the race and then once the race is over you almost you reverse taper um, to get back into your program so like the the day after the race you're probably not doing a whole lot you shouldn't be just recover take care of your body maybe stretch or roll but even sometimes that's too painful um, 
So a couple days later, maybe you can start rolling and stretching, walking, hiking, um, getting on a bike, just just getting the blood flowing and and um, you know nothing too crazy. And then at the further you get from the race, the more and more activity you're going to be able to do. But if you just go right into a hard workout just a day or two later, um, I think you're just setting yourself up for some issues down the road and a longer recovery. So if you have another race coming up, you're always going to be trying to catch up and you're never going to be in that prime condition that you want to be for for your next race so think about those things think about that reverse taper and just be smart about coming back after a race and just um you know if, if you have like back-to-back races of over a week or two you're not going to lose anything so it's really just maintained from race to race you don't need to be trying to get super strong with you know a week after a race because you have another race coming up um, that should be done you know in your uh, prior to all these races if, if you really want to peak out there um, so be smart recover, take care of your body so you can last longer uh, and have a longer career in OCR. All right, time for our research review. And I'm going to talk about, can you talk yourself out of fatigue? If you have listened to the interview I did with Alex Hutchinson, uh, who wrote the book Endure, we talked a lot about this. And the idea is that there's multiple reasons you fatigue, why you get tired. There is the physiological component of you running out of muscle glycogen. Um, ATP is being depleted and uh, lactic acid might be building up. Uh, uh, Your muscles are becoming more acidic and it's affecting performance. And and all of these things clearly result in decreased performance. Um, But there's also this idea that your brain or or there's a psychological component to this that you are going to give in because you're starting to give up or back off um, because it's hard. It hurts a little bit. Um, You're you're getting tired. Uh, All of those start to to creep up. And um, this is that idea of the central governor theory where it's basically your brain is trying to limit the amount of discomfort or basically keep you away from threat. So, right, your brain wants you to survive. It doesn't want you to kill yourself um, doing these different things. And if you were, for example, to run out of ATP or, or energy, you would die. So your, your brain knows this. So it's going to do things to make you not get even close to that, that point. Um, so um, there's this theory that your, your brain is going to be the first thing to start to affect performance um, versus the physiological components. And and, and um, reality, it's probably a combination. And I think this is where some people are better at controlling their thoughts and they can um, reduce the influence of, of the brain's impact on, on performance. So um, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I, went, I came across a study and I, I just thought it, it was a uh, uh, an important thing to share to keep this concept in mind. And this was back in 2014 where they looked at 24 recreational active men and women, and they wanted to look at the effects of self-talk on endurance performance during high intensity cycling exercise. Um, they took a baseline to get data to kind of see where each individual was. And then they divided them into two group, two groups. One group received two weeks of coaching and practice in using self-talk, positive self-talk, um, while the other group was the control group and they did not receive any of this coaching on, on self-talk. Um, they did this for two weeks and then after the two weeks, all participants came back and they retested. 
and um, they wanted to see the uh, results of their performance from the beginning to the end and compare the two groups based on those that practice self-talk and, and those that different that that didn't. Uh, the group that received the self-talk coaching had a lower rating of perceived exertion or RPE, and that basically means they didn't feel like they were working as hard, which is an important um, thing to consider. Uh, and they had a longer time to exhaustion by almost two minutes compared to their first visit. Um, the results of the control group that didn't get the uh, self-talk coaching saw no improvements, which uh, that's pretty crazy that they didn't do any training between these two weeks, physical training. All they did was they worked on more positive self-talk. Um, so this motivational self-talk reduced perceived uh, perceived effort and it increased endurance performance during an aerobic activity, which I think is just incredible to see that all not all that you have to do. I shouldn't say that. Training is obviously going to be a big part of this. Um, but I, I do believe that one of the benefits of regularly exercising and training is you are just getting more used to being uncomfortable. And that's kind of the first step. It's, it's not so bad when your legs are burning and your lungs are burning. You're able to kind of push through those things before any noticeable physiological changes actually occur. So, um, when we look at Spartan races and all these other races, um, we we see there's often that mental component. And if you're not preparing for it at all, I think you are at a disadvantage. And it's something I'll admit I, I didn't always focus on. But when I was training for my Ultra Beast, I knew what this process was going to be like and, and how hard the race was going to be. So I wanted every advantage possible. So this is something that I did practice. And this idea of, of positive self-talk, having a mantra, um, you know, understanding that your brain is going to try and get you to stop before your body needs to stop. And I'm not telling you to just push so hard that you hurt yourself or do some serious damage. Um, obviously, we, we want good training so you're prepared for any of the races that you do. But this idea of um, understanding when are you just getting inside your own head? When are you being negative? When are you telling yourself you're tired or thinking about the consequences if you keep going or um, all of those thoughts? I think just being aware of it is a great first step and just kind of noticing, all right, uh, I'm starting to, to say these things that are, are not helping. Um, and then once you're aware of it, how can we change it? And just having some go-to things. And and I do think this, I, I don't really like that term, fake it till you make it, but I think this in this instance, it might be helpful where just start practicing saying positive things to yourself. Like even when something's going hard, just understanding, but I'm still doing great. My, my body feels great. I'm holding up. Um, it's going to feel so good when I'm done and, and whatever you need to do to help, even if you don't truly hundred percent believe in it, I think just starting to say those things is going to be helpful. And then from there, just doing, um, I think it'll become more natural and you'll actually start to feel better. And like they, they said in that study, that perceived exertion actually got better. So even though you're training at the same intensity, it doesn't feel as hard anymore. And that's the goal of training, right? Even if there are no physiological changes, if you just feel like it's easier, um, because mentally that's what's going on, then this is a, a way you get faster and you last longer in some of these races. So always thinking, how can you implement, you know, listen to yourself, even when you're working out with other people and you start saying like, oh my God, this sucks, or I just don't want to do this. Uh, just try and avoid getting uh, those thoughts in your head and find other ways around it that you can turn it into a positive thing. 
that, you know, think like there's so many people that can't even do what you're doing at this point and how far you've come in your training. And sure, it's hard, but you're going to get better and better every single time that you do this. You just have to go through this piece right now. Um, so obviously there's lots of different ways you can implement it, but if it's not part of your training, I think this is a, an easy thing that you can implement during your training, um, using apps like, uh, you know, if you meditate, things like that, and using Headspace, um, just to, again, be more aware of, of your self-talk, positive, negative, um, whatever it might be, and know that there is this voice in there and you have 100% control of it if you're aware of the things that it's saying. So, um, so take the time and think, how can you incorporate some of this motivational self-talk into your program? All right, everybody, it's time for our uh, interview for this podcast, and uh, I have a very special guest. Uh, for this episode, um, as you guys know, I, I did the Ultra Beast recently, and I was going to do a race recap, which I am going to do, and I'm going to do it right now with my special guest. I figured it'd be more fun to talk with somebody that was sharing that misery with me, and actually that I got to race with on the course, uh, which was awesome, and finished together. So I have on... Rachel Minos, how are you doing today? Wonderful, Mike. How are you? I am doing awesome. Way better than the last time I saw you, I can, I can say with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to, to share a little bit how we, we met on the course. So we're Camelback twins, and we passed each other a few times. We were kind of going back and forth, and we noticed that we both had the same style Camelback, which was just kind of funny, the, uh, the belt versus the backpack. Um, which you just don't see as often. And uh, then I caught up to you, I think, at some point on the second lap, and you had the white bib on. And for those that uh, aren't familiar with the Ultra, when you are the lap leader, you get a super cool white bib to, to set yourself apart. Um, so uh, we got to talking, and um, we had a mutual friend also with the same name as you, which is pretty funny. And uh, I figured it would be awesome to get you on here and kind of take, get your take on just the race, your experience, um, all that good stuff. But uh, before we get into it, why don't you let our listeners know just a little bit about who you are? Okay, well, thank you, Mike. Um, my name is Rachel Munoz. I am a hairdresser and a proud mom. And I'm also married to my lovely husband. Um, I've been doing the races now since 2015. Back in 2010, I lost over 75 pounds and I've kept it off. And my friend introduced me to the Spartan races in 2015. And funny enough, she's like, I challenge you. And I'm like, okay. Now my level of fitness at this point was just mediocre. I wasn't really fit fit. I was just doing the little T25 insanity programs at home. I was like, all right. And I was like, I challenge you to a Spartan race. I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's like, I challenge you to a beast. I'm like, all right. She's like, you're not going to ask me any questions. I'm like, you're telling me it's a Spartan race and a beast. So I'm going to assume it's going to be something hard. And she's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, it was, and it took a long time to finish, but we eventually did. And I went home that day and signed up for two more the following January, a super and a sprint in one weekend. Nice. Well, might as well get the uh, the long one out of the way. Right. Might as well just jump in full, <laughs> full throttle, right? 
Awesome. So fast forward to now. Um, so, you, you know, if the, that first race, I'm sure was a bit of a shock. Um, but I think like most of us, you caught that bug. And you're doing awesome now in these races. And I see your name uh, at the top quite a bit. Well, I really do push hard. I go to the gym a lot and train myself. And I'm 52 Spartan races or 53 of them in now. Nice. So, And every time I go out there, I just, I always have a game plan in my head. And I just, most important thing I always tell myself is have fun. If you're not out there to have fun and challenge yourself, then you're doing something wrong. But don't go off the course pissed off that you messed up somewhere along the way. Just remember that everybody out there is just as challenged as you are, and we're all pushing just as hard. Yeah, and I I just think that's awesome advice because that's why we sign up for this. I mean, it is for the challenge, but this is fun. And I think when it gets to the point where it's not fun anymore, it's to it's time to take a look and see what you're doing that's making it not fun and if there's anything you can change there exactly and to keep looking at the races and looking at the level of difficulty that they are i mean everybody has a different body and everybody's works differently so all the nutrition and everything it's hard to dial in what works for you but once you do it's it works and it's really good and then just i don't know the limit the sky is the limit so never say that you can't do something because you can. Like, I didn't think I would ever do an ultra. I kept saying, <laughs> man, I want one of those belt buckles. I really want to do that. And finally I said, well, why don't you? And I tried and I started adding more running to my routine and I pushed and pushed for the past year now to make sure that I was ready. And I just tried to figure out all everything I would have to do to be ready. <laughs> That's all, that that was actually the first question I wanted to ask you is is why you signed up for it and um cuz obviously everyone has to have an important reason behind this if it's just if it's not you know you're not going to have that motivation and I know like um one of the things for me at kind of the same boat where I never ever thought I was going to do something like this I've helped other clients train for this but I just personally just didn't think I would want to or or really get involved with this and it just came to the point where I it became such a, a mental thing where it's like, well, you know what? I don't even know if I can do this. And that's that's what kind of sparked my interest that I, I've done the sprints, I've done the super, I've done many of all these races. And obviously I don't want to say they're not challenging because you push as hard as you can. So they're always challenging, but I never had the thought of, I'm not going to finish this. But when I thought about the ultra, that was a question. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I, I've never done anything like this. And that is really what kind of pushed me over the edge to sign up. Um, so it's it's great it's it's always great to to hear other people's reasons behind well what made you actually click that button to finally I know, register. I've done all the other races too. I've done plenty of B super sprints over the year, and I see everybody out there doing the ultras, and I'm just like, God, I want to do one one day, but I don't think I can, and I'm not gonna start a race that I don't finish. I don't want to be enough. Mm-hmm. That I know, unfortunately, they do happen. And sometimes it's out of our hands, but I'm one of those determined people that when I start something, I'm going to finish, even if it means I have to army crawl across the finish line. <laughs> and, and I want to definitely get your, um, some of your thoughts on this race. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you was, did that, did a point ever come in this race where you've questioned if you were going to finish? No. Okay. Not this time. 
not this time around. It has happened in Tahoe, but for the ultra, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it because the whole week before I planned out what my nutrition needed to be. I planned out what I was going to wear, planned out what I needed to do for hydration and everything. And then I just kept telling myself all week long, if it doesn't scare you, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. (laughs) Very true. Because that scared me. The thought of three (laughs) miles and 60 obstacles scared the hell out of me. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) Even even walking up to the venue on Friday evening to drop my bucket off and pick up my bib, I'm like, am I really doing this? Am I really going to do an ultra tomorrow morning? Ah." (laughs) Right right there with you. Absolutely. Until Until they say, you know, go. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and then there's no choice no turning back once you get out there um exactly. especially once you get that chip because you're too embarrassed to go give the chip back no, and say, exactly. no, i just want the beast i just want the beast. <laughs> uh so let's let's kind of start big big picture what what was just your overall experience um you know just getting through that race you know i think i think it does come down to just training and mentally and physically you know you really have to go into it with positive thoughts and a positive mind nothing negative on your mind because if you're out there and you have all these negative thoughts and you're tearing yourself down before you even get there you're not going to do good you have to have that positive train of thought and just push hard that dunk wall at mile two (laughs) that was cold yeah that was a shock that was a shock to the system. Originally, <laughs> I was on the start line because it was six o'clock in the morning, so it was kind of chilly, and I knew it was going to reach eighty that day. But I, I don't do well with the cold, so I had on my little windbreaker, and I'm like, okay, dunk walls in the first two miles, so I'm going to take the jacket off, put it in my dry sack, and stick it in my little fanny pack. Mm-hmm. And then when I get out of the dunk wall, I'll put it back on. But by the time you get out of the dunk wall and you start running, you just get hot. Yeah, yeah, it did. Luckily, as soon as that sun finally came out, it, it was it was warm. Um, I so you bringing up that dunk wall. Uh, actually, I want to get back to a couple points you just made. But uh, what did you think of kind of the layout with this race? I it was a little bit different than I've seen in the past. Where I mean, within the first three miles, there were a ton of obstacles. I mean, from you know the Z wall was right away, the monkey bars, the dunk wall, the, the rope climb, the spear. Like all of those, I feel like we're pretty much right out of the gate. And that's not usually how it is in these races. They love to throw those at the end. So I, I, what were you, I, I'd love to hear just your thoughts on kind of that layout there. I found that layout quite fun and it weeds people out quickly yeah. to the point that if you train yourself for those obstacles, you definitely can jump on the lead because usually, like you said, they save those for later on. So if people struggle with those later on, then you can catch up to them. But this time it gave whoever could get through those pretty quickly a great jump. Uh, Absolutely. And you could get a big lead going. And that's, uh, yeah, exactly what I saw is people were just taking off. And if you were struggling right off the bat, you know, it probably turned into a long race for you. Especially with that spear throw being, like you said, right at the beginning, it's, and I found it quite interesting because they did the dunk wall. And then there was something else right afterwards. The, the barbed wire carry. was right. At, yeah. And then the uh, bucket carry. Barbed wire, yep. then the bucket carry. And then we went right into the spear throw. So your hands are still wet. Yeah. And your chest is still a little cold. So your breath might be not quite 
normal. So you just have to calm yourself down when you get there. Otherwise, if you miss, which it's always a give or take with the mm -hmm. room, then you could end up doing 30 burpees while everybody else just jumps on the lead with the hills because the hills came right afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the, uh, speaking of those hills, uh, I pretty much think they just made up that elevation map because it just didn't seem right at all where it looked like after a certain point it was pretty flat but i feel like it was just lots and lots of hills um not, not crazy i'm sure there's worse races out there but um i just didn't think that race map was super accurate there <laughs> it definitely was not a big bear and not a tahoe <laughs> yeah yeah luckily <laughs> but not one on the ultra loop that oh. one hill on the yeah. ultra loop oh my goodness yes that was a rough one um, that was a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, going back to those obstacles um, and how it was so front-loaded, I have to say one thing I loved about it was, so I, I, I've mentioned this on our podcast before, uh, the two obstacles that seem to give me a get me a little anxious um, every time, no matter how many times I've seen them and how many times I've done them. Uh, so the spear throw, like you said, it's kind of, there's always that chance you just do something dumb and don't pay attention and you miss. Uh, in the Z wall, it's just one that I, it's just I, I have slipped off, slipped off a couple times, and that's just always something that's in the back of my mind. But the fact that they were early, I think for me, it was, it was uh, just a relief because I just got it over with. I mean, yes, you have to get it on the second lap, but it was just nice to be done with that and then just go run my race. And I just, for me, I think that was a nice advantage to have my two obstacles that I, I kind of. Um, Get all nervous about yeah to just get those over with and, and move you on. know and the z wall is hard sometimes especially if you've been doing a lot of hills and everything your yeah. legs are kind of shaky when you get up there yeah yeah you know, i've seen the z wall a couple different ways approached it for me personally because i know that i'm stronger with my right hand because i'm more dominant on my right side i will try to pull choose the side of the wall where my right hand's in the front so when i get around that corner I know I can pull myself with my right hand rather than my left. Yep. I, you know, I 100% agree. I do the same exact thing. And every time I've tried to break that, I fall. <laughs> and whether it be like there was a line or I, I just wanted to get on it as fast as I could and saw the other one open and didn't think it was going to matter, and it, it did. So just knowing, you know, not, not just on that obstacle, but on, on a few, is it better to go this way or that way? Um, yes, it's good to know your strengths and it's good to know, have a plan of approach when you reach these obstacles. And also, I always tell everybody, all my friends that are doing it for the first time, any first time Spartans, take your time, the 30 extra seconds you take to calm your nerves, calm your breath and relax is a lot less than the time it's going to take you to do 30 burpees because yeah, you were rushing. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, pay attention if, depending on when you're there, watch other people too. There's amazing some things you can pick up either good or bad. You know, if, if it's, um, you see somebody struggling, why are they struggling? Or if they just breeze through it, is there anything you can kind of borrow from that to help you out? I watched VJ breeze through that Z wall back in February out in Fort McDowell, Fort mm -hmm. McDowell, Arizona. And yeah. the way he approached it, he just, he walked his hands across, but his feet, he just put one foot in front of the other as if you're walking up the side of a wall for rock yeah. climbing. Gotcha, yeah. I tried that a couple times, and I was like, you know what? This really does shave a couple extra seconds. Yeah, and, and that can make a huge difference. 
depending mm-hmm. on how, how competitive you are. Um, another one I, I, I uh, wanted to bring up with you uh, was the Olympus. Um, and I, uh, I know you, you uh, had an issue with it on one of your laps, correct? Yes. On my second lap, I came up to the Olympus. Now we had done so many hills at that point, <laughs> running down that one hill and reaching up to the Olympus. But once again, like I say, it's a mental thing. And I could feel it on the first lap just because my legs were already getting there from all the running up and down the hills. But I made it across. But the dirt, it was just super slippery, I thought. This yeah. time around. And during the first lap, I made it across. But in my head, I'm like, man, that's going to be a bitch the next lap after all this running. Absolutely. And you know what? I might have jinxed myself because I gave it my good, honest effort. But my legs were just, my legs and my upper body were too shot for it. So that was actually the only obstacle I failed. Which is super impressive. And that was on my second lap. So I had to go over there and do my 30 burpees. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure were painful. (laughs) They actually weren't too bad, but it's not always fun. But then again, it was kind of nice to take a break before all those walls they put right after. Exactly, and and right up that hill. Um, And, and, you know, uh, I think that was the first time I've seen Olympus since they did alter it a little bit where it seemed a little bit steeper. Um, and they have that whatever coating on it that just makes it even more slick. So I guess they oh, were something. So maybe that's why it was so different. I didn't know they had altered it. It like it, it's still the same layout, but where before it was just wood, I believe. Um, now there's like a I don't even know what you would call it, but like a almost like a plastic uh, uh, seal on the wood now that just made it extra slick. So, um, I, I definitely, that, cause I know the Olympus is not one that I've ever struggled with. Um, and I got through it my first lap and I remember thinking like, whoa, that just took out a ton of energy that I was not expecting. And I, it was in my head, like, like you said, that second lap, um, when I got to it again, I stopped for a good 30 seconds, just getting ready to go across because I knew it was going to take a lot more energy out of me that second, second time around. So it's for sure different. I was trying to take a good 30 seconds, but I'm going to say those open people are so cute with cheering us on. And they just saw me run down the hill and they're like, ultra over here. And they put (laughs) them right on the wall. I didn't even get a break to just chill for a second. They're like, come on, ultra right over here. You've done it one lap. You're the lap leader. I'm like, you guys are awesome. But I just Uh, wanted 30 seconds. (laughs) No, it was absolutely awesome. Every single obstacle, the amount, and not even just the obstacles, just everybody sees you coming and the support was so amazing. But you're right. There was a couple where they just let me, like the volunteer basically grabbed me and said, go here. <laughs> and it's like, wait, I want a second. I know. And it's like, huh? and then it's like, well, I can't fail. Like everybody's looking now. So I, exactly. when I got. You can't tell them no, give me a second because they're like, yeah. come on. They're waiting. It. Yeah. They're like, I want to go too. Um, at, when I got to the spear throw the second time, um, it really, there weren't any long lines. It was maybe one to two people at each station. And I was like, it's fine. I'll get a second to catch my breath. No big deal. And the volunteer ran over and she's like, go to this one right here. And this girl um, is pulling the spear back and the volunteer's like, can you give that to him? And then I'm like, oh, I'm such a jerk. Like, no, it's like, and then I'm like, but I, I'm tired and I want to go. So she was super cool. And I'm super thankful for her 
to give me her spot. But then I grab the spear and I get ready. And there's like 30 people, it feels like surrounding me watching. And now I'm like, oh, now the extra pressure. And I'm glad to say I hit it, but it was like, I just, well, I can't miss. Everybody's looking now and they right? gave me their spot. If I miss, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just a disaster. So, um, but yeah, you're right. It was just uh, so much support. And I, one of the cooler, cooler things I wasn't expecting uh, out of the race yeah. uh, was just I how was, much support. I was never expecting that much support. I mean, the first lap, we don't see too many people, but that second lap, you just have them all cheering you on they're like and I wasn't even like with the obstacles they told me okay you just go right to the front and just tell them you're an ultra and they'll let you go so I just walked over to the front of the monkey bars because there was a long line on every single row and I'm like excuse me I'm an ultra do you can I go real quick and she's like oh yeah you're an ultra and they saw the red headband like and they saw my lap leader they're like oh my god you go girl get him get him it's like (laughs) And then I'm thinking in my head, boy, I better not fall off this thing. Shoot, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> I and know, then but I... they just see you running and they're just like, when you're going around them, I wasn't trying to like do anything out of the ordinary. I was just doing the normal to your left as I'm running, trying to get around them. But other people would spot the vests and they would mm-hmm. all shout, Ultra's coming through, move aside. And then they would all step aside and cheer you on as you run through. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, so um, I, I I'm trying to remember. I can't remember even being on a course like doing a beast and seeing. I, I must not have done a beast course that had an ultra at the same time, or I, I'm not sure. But I just wasn't expecting that, and it was just so cool to see how how awesome everybody was and and accommodating because as as you know, and, and people doing the beast are in pain too, but they understand what you're going through and are willing to let you go ahead and cut and uh, super super cool. It is really cool, especially because that's their first experience right there. Because a lot of the people that we were sharing the course with that were doing the beast were the opens. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You got this. You got this. Yeah. And they were just cheering us on. And it's like, do you guys even know what we're doing? You guys are amazing (laughs) for giving us this extra right here because we need it. We needed all that. That was just it definitely made me smile because it was just so cute because it's like, I'm just going my own pace and then they just shout that. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Um, thank <laughs> you. I was yeah. not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Super awesome. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, whether it be during the race itself or maybe in training, did you have, I don't want to say regrets, but if you could do it again, would there be anything you would do differently? Hmm. Maybe just add a few more miles to my racing and maybe practice that one obstacle that I struggled with. Try and figure out a way for that. What one's that one? The Spartan 2.0 or the second? Yeah. The, uh, the vertical cargo. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am. So to give our listeners an idea, uh, that was the second to last obstacle was the vertical cargo where they put that little, I shouldn't say little, that table um, that you have to get up on and then climb the net. And it's, it seems like every race it, it's getting higher and it's, it's definitely a challenge. And after you run 30 miles to have to jump and do all this is um, obviously challenging. And so we, we were talking as we were approaching it and you said you got it the first time. And, and I was like, awesome, you got it again. I think you said it might've taken you two, two tries to get up that wall. So it's like, okay, you got this. And um, 
after I got over, I could see you struggling and um, definitely getting emotional trying to get over that. And I can only imagine how good it felt to finally get up on that wall. Yes, because I was getting emotional. It took me more than two tries. I'd say it probably took me at least five to six tries to get it the second time to jump up there and get up and over because you have to go at it the right speed. You have to jump just the right way and get your foot up. Otherwise, you slide back down and there's yeah. nothing really, there's nothing under there to help you. This It is a struggle if you don't hit it just the right way. And you know, when you're tired, you've done so many and you're two obstacles from the end, you do not want to do burpees. Oh, I couldn't I imagine like, at the no, point. No, <laughs> I don't want to do burpees. I want to finish and I want to get it. So I yeah. kept trying and trying and finally got it. And when I finally got it, oh my gosh, that was like, that was the second happiest moment of the whole race. First <laughs> one was lap leader vest. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned mileage. Uh, uh, what was your longest run? This is always such a big question. What was your longest run leading up to that race? Mm, the longest run. I mean, I run a couple miles a day. I don't go too far because it is hard sometimes to train because I am a mom. Mm -hmm. and I work so my days are always kind of compacted to right now my daughter's also in volleyball and then events that she wants to do so I don't always have enough time to get out there on the trails like I would like but I would say I run at least five miles a day probably even if it's on the treadmill or just around the block or down the street at a trail but the longest run I've ever done before this one was the Spartan World Championships in 2017. Okay. That one was 17 miles that year, and I did that beast both days. Wow, that's awesome. And I think I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because um, obviously mileage is important, but I think some people go crazy. And I saw one person post on one of the Facebook groups they ran 30 miles the week before the race and training. And I just thought that was crazy. Like why, <laughs> why do that in a training run when so many things can go wrong? I mean, if you have that time, that's awesome. But, um, I, I, I do think I, I would rather, and, and how I try to, uh, how I treat my training is I'd rather be the minimalist. I want to get by with as little as possible. Cause I'm, you know, same boat, two kids, uh, you know, own a business. It's, it's a lot of work to just, uh, get the training runs in. And I think that's, that was the biggest challenge with the whole thing. The race obviously was hard, but I felt incredibly prepared for it. It was just getting all my training in was, was the real challenge. Yes. I felt more prepared for this race than I ever thought I would, because all I could keep thinking was the mileage. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's 30 miles. What am I going to do? I have never done one before. What should I expect? And I didn't want to post on Instagram or any of my social media that I was actually going for the ultra because I did not want the influx of advice coming in because <laughs> everybody's body is a different body. Yeah, Once yeah. again, we all need different things. So what works for one person doesn't work for, I can't do carb loading and mm -hmm. I'm not going to drink gallons and gallons and gallons of water the day before because then I'm <laughs> going to have to pee. Yeah. And carb loading, I feel like it is heavy on my stomach personally. But I did make sure 
that I took a water bottle. I never take water on the course with me. Typically, I like to use what they put out there because then you're kind of limited so that you're not drinking too much and cramping with your stomach. Mm -hmm. But this time I took a water bottle with me that held X amount of water. And I told myself, no stopping at the water stations on the first lap. Drink from your water bottle every four miles and every six to eight miles, eat some kind of energy cube or chew or something just to keep yourself going. And if you feel like you need more water, just take a little sip, but try not to overdo it either. And that was a different thing for me because usually, like I said, I don't take anything out there on the course with me. But this time I was like, you need to do something because this is a long race. Uh, absolutely. And I, I totally agree. It's always my hardest thing when working with clients is trying to give recommendations for things like food and nutrition. And, and really my main uh, advice to them is let's try some stuff in your training and then we'll see how it will go during the race because yeah, like what I do may not be good for what you do. And um, I, I, I like that you brought up the, the water part because that's actually, I was debating it the weeks leading up um, I did not want to take a hydration pack at all. I figured why be any heavier than I need to be. Um, and I know there's water stations out there. And I think sometimes you're right. People go crazy and they like, if you're going to race, you're going to be dehydrated, dehydrated by the end. Like that's just how races go. If you're more hydrated at the end of a race than at the beginning, like you did something wrong. You know, you didn't yes. probably didn't go hard enough and you just drank way too much water. And that might actually lead to some cramping or, or issue, stomach issues or things like that. So I, I made the decision. I ran with that, that camel. The reason I chose that camel back was more because it held my, my nutrition, you know, my, my uh, blocks and my gels and stuff easier than anything else. But I took the hydration pack out of it and I just totally relied on what was out there because after looking at the map, I'm like, well, there's 20 water stations over 30 miles. I don't oh, need that much water. Yeah, like I, I just don't need that much. So why bring any more and have to carry it through monkey bars and twister and, and all these? I, I want to be light and, you know, not that it's adding a ton of weight, but when you're out there oh, for eight, eight hours, it, it absolutely. Oh, every uh, ounce counts at that point. Yeah. And I had a hydration pack in my bin. And it was there if I wanted to take it for lap two, but I just decided lap one went great. So why mess with it? And um, it was totally fine. And the, the only warning I give, if anybody is thinking about this, uh, I did have some clients run the beast later in the day and some water stations actually did run out of water. Actually, he told me quite a few. So if you're later in the day, you're planning on, their, planning on being on the course longer, this is definitely something to consider that you might not get all the water that's out there. Um, but if you're, if you're racing competitively, you're going to be fine. And, um, and like you said, when I train, I never train with water. So it was like, why, why exactly. mess with, mess with I, what I do? I go to, yeah. I go to the gym for two hours a day and I never take water with me one hour for weights, one hour for cardio. And on the course, I also, like we said, we have the same fanny pack. So it had the hydration pack in there, but I didn't want, I thought about the hydration pack for a split second. But then all I could see is that little tube with the little opening. And I'm like, dirt and mud is going to get in that when I go down that dunk wall. That is nasty. Yeah. So, and I didn't want the whole bladder and the way it would swoosh around and everything. Yeah. That would be annoying. So I researched it. I found small water bottles that go usually with like the Nathan backpack and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got two of those. I put one in my bucket, one in my fanny pack, and it only holds like 10 ounces of water. So it didn't weigh much. 
And for me, like I said, the only reason why I took it on the course with me for lap one was because I didn't want to stop at the water stations because of time. Yeah. My whole goal was I'm going to do the first lap, no stopping, get as far as I can, and then pace myself on the second lap. Yeah. And I, I think that's just, you know, everybody who's considering doing an ultra or I you know, any race for that matter, um, having a plan and sticking with it, I think is incredibly important. So you said, you know, this is what I'm going to do lap one for water and nutrition. This is what I'll do lap two. Me very similar. Um, I had, you know, a time every, every, um, my first lap I did every 45 minutes. My second lap was every 30 minutes. I was getting something. Um, and you know, for me that worked well. And again, I'm not saying everyone should do that, but I played around with it and that just seemed to work best for me, but I just stuck to the plan because when you're tired, you don't want to have to think on the fly. You know, when exactly. you're six hours in and it's like, what do I do now? Like, no, it was just, I didn't think about it. It was just, here's what I do every, every so often and just follow the plan. And another thing I recommend for the people to do is to just get different things out there and try them before the race. Even if you're not doing something active right beforehand, try different flavors out because if you're out there on the course and you need it, but you don't like it because it tastes nasty, mm -hmm. you know, it's supposed to be something that helps you out. But yes, we are concerned with flavors. So try it all out. You know, you might not like the goose, you might like the chews better or this was the first time I ever used little energy jelly beans. And I actually really liked those. I used those as well. Yeah, they were good. The little lemon lime flavor ones were a little harder than the red one <laughs> <laughs> to get down. I was like, oh man, but it worked. They yeah. were actually pretty tasty and they gave me a lot of energy, especially the ones with the caffeine. I don't usually have caffeine stuff because I'm not a big coffee drinker, but that really did help. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing that I did, I talked to a, a colleague who's a big ultra, um, just endurance guy in general, and he was talking about potatoes. So I cooked potato, like little fingerling potatoes, so super small potatoes, you know, just cooked in oil and salt, baked, so they were mm -hmm. still soft. Um, and, you know, I would just have like one with like a, a block or something like that. And so if I had a planet right, because if I didn't have water with me, it was a little harder to get down. Um, but when I got those down, I felt so good because it was just more filling and it didn't taste like a super sugary gel or, you know, something like that. And for me, it worked great. Um, I couldn't eat a ton of them, but every, every, um, I think I had like two per lap or something like that. And when I had those, it just felt better than some of the other stuff. So it's like you said, play around with these things. Don't try it in the race. Exactly. Just play around with it. See what you like before you get on the course. A lot of the ultras that I talked to, like two people that had done the ultra that I trust their opinion. And I asked them what they put in their bucket. Three actually. And all three of them said to put the Uncrustable sandwiches in there. They're like, <laughs> you're going to want something else besides just chews and stuff like that. You're going to want food. Now, once again, I'm, we're all different. We all like different things, but I trusted them and I tried it. I am not a fan for me. It did not work <laughs> well. I took like one little bite and I'm like, Oh no, that is way too heavy for me right now. I'm not going to be finishing this. This will just sit in my little fanny pack and get soggy. It's okay. Yeah. That's funny. I I've heard that a lot too. A lot of people said they, they will use those. Um, but, uh, I, all I did was for in my bin at the transition, I had um, some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like that I made. 
um, that it wasn't the easiest thing to eat, but it was nice to have it there and, you know, was able to get it down fine. And now, did you actually stop at your bin and eat or did you grab your food and go? So I stopped. Yeah, I had to pee pretty bad. And I know I could have gone in the woods. But when I got to the porta potties, I just was like, well, I'll just go here. And then um, I had some things in my bin, just some, uh, it was really cool, like uh, my family um, and some clients had left me some notes and pictures uh, that they, you know, I couldn't open until I got there. And um, it was just stuff to make me smile, you know, laugh, encourage me. And um, so I did stop. And as I was reading those things, I ate my sandwich and I had some uh, Gatorade that unfortunately I froze thinking they'd be all melted and good to go, but they were half frozen still. So I couldn't get too much out of them. Um, but uh, yeah, basically I just ate that sandwich. Um, I was going to change. So I, I asked you about regrets. The only regret I had was not changing my socks. I was just too tired and too lazy to take my shoes off that I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And it ended up not being a big deal, but I got about a mile in my second lap and my my sock was just rubbing funny on my pinky toe and could feel it. And luckily it, it went away, but I could see that turning into something bad. Uh, so that's that's the only thing. I, it probably would have been okay to change my socks. Did um, it give you a pretty little blister on your toe? You know what? I didn't. And I couldn't believe it because as much as it was bothering me, and maybe it was all in my head that I felt this little thing. And I'm like, oh, I can only imagine what this is going to be. Um, but it, ended up, it was red and a little scraped, but I did not get a blister, luckily. See, I felt so odd with my transition bin because I had no clue what to put in it. So <laughs> I put a second bag of jelly beans. I put my Uncrustable sandwich. I put a couple more of the Cliff Energy Cubes that I really like. And I think I put a couple of the waffles in there, the little um, Honey Stinger waffles yeah. and some of the chews. And then I put a second water bottle with water in it and sunscreen because I knew it was going to be like 80 degrees and all I could think is I don't want to get burnt. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I we, made sure it was the spray on kind so I didn't have to use my hands and get it all over my hands. Absolutely. And I, I remember talking about this with you. I had the same thing. I had the spray sunscreen and I just stared at it in my bucket and never even picked it up. And I don't think, I think I just got a nice tan. So luckily I'm, I have fairly dark complexion, so it didn't turn into a big deal, big deal, but I just expected to have a sweet uh, headband tan line at some point, but it was okay. <laughs> well, I just, that's all I put in there because I had no clue going in what to expect my first time. So all I kept thinking is, I hope I'm doing this right. Because when you looked at everybody else's buckets, there was one guy next to me that had a whole change of clothes, new shoes and everything. And I'm just like, well, I know I wear compression socks personally. I love mm -hmm. compression socks. I can't stress it enough to everybody. It helps with the cramping on the calves. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing the Tyrone Triverse, you don't get that nasty rope burn on your legs because it yeah. completely covers your legs all the way up to your shins. Like it covers over your shins up to your knees. So for me, I love them. I don't really have much skin showing, but I was like, you know, I know for me, if I was to change that stuff, in the transition area, that would take way too long. Mm, absolutely, yep. Because the first obstacle of the day is getting on those damn compression socks. It takes them off. <laughs> yeah, I know you pretty much just want to cut them off at the end of the day. I almost did. I'm not <laughs> even going to lie. I looked at some girl in the changing tent next to me, 
And then I kept looking at my socks and I'm like, am I going to ask her to help me or am I just going <laughs> to take things off? Yeah, that's fine. And the sweet girl did help me. So well, I, I got to save them. <laughs> but it was definitely a lot of a very good experience. And I do look forward to doing another one. I'm trying to plan it out for next year where I'm going to go with the ultras because that was amazing. It was just it was exhilarating to see how far and how much I could actually push myself. I couldn't believe it. I was just, I was happy. And when I got that lap leader vest at the transition area, I mean, I pulled into the transition area, quickly dumped my bag with my windbreaker, threw in my little headlamp, grabbed my stuff, and I was spraying myself down, went and sprayed my other girlfriend down that was in the transition area. The lady walked over to me and gave me that white vest. And I looked at her, I was like, seriously? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, this is mine? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, if I could spare any tears, I would right now of happiness. But I need to save my hydration. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You can't waste it on tears. Afterwards, and then I gave her a big hug because I uh, really do appreciate all the volunteers out there. They're just That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Well, so I was going to ask you... Um, well, let me ask you it this way. So it sounds like you're going to do another ultra. When you finished, if somebody were to ask you, are you going to do another one? Would you have had the same answer? You know, this is one of the very few races where I would say I would have still had the same answer. Awesome. I would I, still say yes. Right after I finished, I think I would still do another one. But the main <laughs> trick is figuring out the venue that works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I do think this was a great, a great venue for an ultra. Um, but it's, it's funny because so many people ask me as I finished, are you going to do it again? And it was a clear no. Like I did it once. I had fun. I learned a lot about myself and it was a great experience, but I just don't think I'm going to do it again. And then it turned into, well, I don't want to say never. And then basically the further I get from the race, uh, the more it's like, well, it, I could do it. Yeah. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm not saying no, I'm not saying never. I don't know, I, nothing planned yet, but I'll definitely look at next year and see if it makes sense um, or down the road. But I just thought it was funny how that worked for me personally, where my mind changed the further I got from the race pretty clearly. I, I think for me, this is one of the most positives I could be during the race the whole time, because as I did say, I had my daughter's birthday party right afterwards. So I went home from the ultra and I hosted my daughter's sleepover party for seven little 12 year olds. Wow. And to me, that scared me more than the ultra because <laughs> I have, they all wanted an ice cream bar and everything. And just knowing that in my head, it just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the positive notes like you got, but I did have <laughs> just the positive thoughts of my daughter. And like I said, my main thing, whenever it would get a little challenging or I felt just the slightest bit scared or tired, I'd just tell myself, you know what, if you're not scaring yourself, then you're not out of your comfort zone and you can't grow as a person unless you get out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. And I'm glad you you stayed busy after the race because I did the same thing or similar. I, I drove home after the race when I could and went to a Halloween party. And uh, I won't, I'll say I was not the life of the party. I stood up for about five minutes and then I said, I'm sitting down. If anybody mm -hmm. wants to talk to me, you can come sit next to me, but I'm not moving anymore. So, now, but I made it, I made it to the party. So why don't you tell your you listeners, why do you do the ultra, the little um, fanny pack as opposed to one of the regular hydration backpacks? So why did I do it? Yeah, why do you use those? Uh, so 
a couple of reasons. So one, I just used it because it was the smallest thing that would hold my nutrition in it. Um, mm -hmm. But the other reason is it's just way more efficient on some of the obstacles like barbed wire, um, some of the crawling ones, or if I even just want to take it off, like I could take it off on the barbed wire crawl and just hold it. Um, it's just so much more compactable. Um, plus it's a fanny pack. So why would you ever not choose the fanny pack if that's an option? Right. I mean, the rock <laughs> whole new thing that everybody loves it. So exactly. <laughs> I just use it because I also find it easier to put all your fuel and everything in. And it's more functional on a lot of the obstacles, especially the barbed wire. Instead of putting the fanny pack facing outwards on my back, I bring it on the inside and I can just do the low crawl with it on my stomach. Yeah. And it does not get in the way. And then more so just because with a backpack, I feel when you have to get into it and you have to unstrap it and switch it around to dig in and get your fuel out, Absolutely. you're wasting time yeah. and you're breaking your concentration. With the fanny pack, you just twist it around, grab what you need, zip it up, twist it back around. It's exactly. awesome. Yeah, uh, it, it saves so much time and energy of just not having to unclip and whatever, just spin, get it, and then go. Um, so, uh, well, I I've taken up probably too much of your time, but I thank you so much for doing this, sharing your experience with our listeners. I know anybody considering the ultra is going to get a ton of information that they can start thinking about and playing around with themselves to see what's going to work best for them. Um, if, uh, it, you know, you don't have to share anything, but if, if any of our listeners want to just follow you on Instagram, Facebook, uh, do you want me to share any of that stuff or... Yes, of course. And they can shoot any questions they want through my messenger. Just if they have any questions for their first Spartan or what I do for training, how do I practice my grip strength, what kind of nutrition, if they have any questions at all, I will be more than happy to answer anybody's questions. Awesome. So I'll put links to that in uh, the show notes for this episode. Uh, thanks again. And congrats on your awesome race, your first place finish. Uh, so cool to share the the, um, the race with you for uh, the end there. Thank you for having me on this. It was a pleasure to talk with you again. And I know I will be seeing you in Castaic Lake. You got it. All right, Mike. I will see you then. All right. Have a good one. Thanks again. You too. Bye. All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 66 of the OCR Underground Show. Uh, thank you guys for sticking around and making this a part of your training routine. And big thanks to Rachel Munoz and sharing her Ultra Beast experience with us and giving some awesome tips for you guys if you're thinking about taking on that challenge. And also thank you for our sponsors of the show, Venga CBD and Hammaster Plus. Make sure you guys check out some of their great products that they offer. Uh, if you want to check out any of the links mentioned in the show, don't forget to head on over to OCRunderground.com slash episode dash 66 and definitely subscribe to the show so you get all the latest episodes well the race year is just about over um, i personally only have one more race hope to see you guys out there i will be at lake estaic um, should be a fun one as always and then we get to start planning for uh, the race season in 2020 uh, but until next time guys keep training smarter